Black Star Woodcrafts. That's the place you want to go. This guy, Scott, he's a sponsor of this podcast, and he's a really close friend of mine. Like, we were friends long before I started doing this podcast, and he's always been a great supporter of me, of the show, and I definitely like to consider myself a supporter of his, and there's a good reason. His shop that he's got up in Michigan where he makes his stuff is absolutely incredible. And he makes a lot of really, really neat, um, interesting, and absolutely beautiful woodcrafts. Some of the stuff that he's made, I own personally. I use them. Um, the wedding bands that me and my wife have were both made by him. They're a metal ring with a wood inlay that's engraved and polished and everything looks absolutely amazing. Um, I have several wood pens that he's made. I've got this one skull twist pen that I shared a video of on... Um, I think both Facebook and Instagram one time just, I mean, just blows my mind how cool it is. He does all kinds of cool stuff. I already mentioned rings. I already mentioned pens. He does bath caddies. He does picture frames. He does clocks. I mean, you name it, this guy can do it. He is talented beyond all get out. I highly recommend, highly recommend checking this guy out. Blackstar Woodcrafts. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and now on Etsy. He's got an Etsy shop. He's got some stuff already up there for sale. But if you go through his gallery and you see stuff that you like, but maybe you want a different color or bigger or smaller or a slightly different design or something completely different from anything you see, by all means, contact him. He loves that whole innovative process of talking with his customers, coming up with ideas and getting just the right look that you want. You can talk to him right through there. He's the only employee. He's a one-man show, dude. Does it all himself. He does an amazing job. So you contact him through there. You will talk directly to Scott. He will go through the whole process with you. Talk about how much it's probably going to cost and about how soon he can get it to you. You want to get something really, really awesome for yourself. Something really cool for your mom, your dad, a loved one, a friend, a boss you're trying to get a promotion from. He's the place to go. Go check it out. And... Because he is the sponsor of this podcast, and you mention this podcast, he will give you 15% off your order. Not too shabby. He's a good guy. Help him out. He'll love it. You'll love him. It'll all be just love. It's awesome. On to the podcast. On today's episode, um, my guest was Chloe Zuberbuehler. And she is a local here in Freeport, Illinois, where I live and where I do this podcast from. And she is currently a candidate for Freeport Township Trustee for the local election coming up on February 23rd. I had never met her before, um, but she came across um, my Facebook feed from a post of hers that somebody else had shared, began looking into it, thought, oh, this would be really, really cool. So I reached out to her, said, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? She said, yeah, let's do it. And so we did it. We recorded it over Zoom. Um, so you're listening to the audio version of it now. The video version of it will be up on YouTube if you would like to watch that as well. Um, but I'm done talking. I'm already past three minutes. So without further ado, here is Chloe. All right, folks, I am here. Um, we're both here. We're live. We're on Zoom. Um, I'm here with Chloe Zuberbuehler, and um, I came across you recently on Facebook by a post that somebody else shared that um, here in the Freeport, Illinois area for the election on February 23rd, um, you are a candidate for the Freeport Township Trustee. Now, for people who aren't too terribly familiar with local government, what exactly does that position do? So township pretty much acts as a checks and balances system for our local government. Um, you'll actually find in a lot of other cities, especially ones that are like ours, they don't actually utilize township. It's kind of just the government. You'll see township in more rural areas a lot in terms of like roads and making sure that those kinds of things are good. Ours actually doesn't even really deal with the roads and transportation, um, we pretty much cover the budget. So we'll review, um, modify, or you know suggest modifications, um, and ultimately approve the budget. 
Um, besides that, uh, work with the tax assessors to make sure property values are, you know, kind of where we want them to be. And that's good in a lot of different ways for, you know, promoting value within Freeport's land. And um, like I said, kind of checks and balances. And then all the other thing is, um, sorry, I'm kind of going spacey. Uh, the biggest thing that actually specifically interested me was that we use, um, you know, the leftover taxpayer money to offer services for citizens. So last year they created a COVID relief fund that people could apply to in other senses. Um, we help, you know, veterans or the elderly or just anybody who might need um, assistance from, you know, our government. Okay. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what is it specifically, I guess I should say about that, uh, that elected position that makes you want to run for it? Right. So I think the biggest thing for me is the services that they they offer. So I am a big proponent for, you know, if everyone in Freeport's lives can be enriched um, on the same scale, then we all, you know, all boats float with a high tide in a sense. So we all succeed when everybody is given, you know, this, a similar opportunity to our neighbors. Um, so if for these services are really important to people who might be more down and out, um, who can't necessarily apply for wealth fair or other services um that's kind of the biggest thing that drew me to this position is wanting to you know help our our citizens get to better places okay what um now obviously you're specifically running for freeport township trustee was there um anything in particular that just made you want to be involved in local politics or just politics in general yeah yeah definitely so i'm back to freeport in 2018 i am a freeport native born and raised um, and have lived in madison wisconsin chicago illinois and my partner zach and i moved back here in 2018 and to kind of start our own lives we started our own businesses we purchased a building in downtown freeport that we've been renovating since um and for me you know there were a lot of opportunities, but then um, starting to, you know, get a little more involved in the local government in terms of, you know, our needs um, and our interest in developing Freeport. Uh, we just saw a lot of, you know, over bureaucracy, red line kind of tape, I mean, excuse me, red tape, um, certain things like that, that kind of put a bad taste in our mouths. We wanted to obviously affect that. And the township doesn't necessarily affect what we're doing, but it was things like that, experiencing, um, you know, glitches in our system that made me really want to get involved. And then additionally, you know, this past summer, um, you know, seeing how certain things have worked out in our town, how our officials have, you know, handled certain things, specifically around Black Lives Matter protests, um, you know, making sure that, you know, our police system is, is in checks, you know, with, with other people in our city, in our city. Um, just wanting to kind of looking at it and knowing, you know, things don't end with our president. They don't end with our mayor. They don't end with our Congress or Senate representatives. Um, we as the citizens really have to have our hand in the ring and, you know, make sure that things are running the way that we would like to see them. So, just kind of with the uprising and, and being active um, in our country and in our cities alone was something that really inspired me to go down this path. Okay. Well, and I think that a lot of times we tend to have a reverse view of things um, because the national media outlets are trying to service all of America. They tend to start at the top and cover down, yeah. you know, whereas mm -hmm. where it is you actually live, especially somebody who lives in a town like Freeport, Illinois, I think that most people it gets completely overlooked how important those positions are and how they actually have much right. more of a bearing on your life than actually what Congress exactly. is doing how many thousands of miles away. I don't know the exact geography. Exactly. But it's not close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were you um were you in downtown living in that building downtown this past summer? No, we were still renovating and right now we don't necessarily live here completely. It's kind of um, where I'm sitting right now is our storage space, um, our product shop place for my business. Um, we have it kind of decorated as a hangout spot, but yeah, ultimately we will live in here um, and we'll kind of live in between all of the floors as we renovate up. But yeah, okay. it's nice being here. <laughs> What's your guys' business? What do you guys do? 
Um, so my business is I run an online retail shop on Etsy. So I sell mid-century modern furniture, vintage home decor, kind of anything that fits my style. I have kind of a bohemian eclectic kind of all over the place. Um, but yeah, I sell stuff like that online. Um, and ultimately we're gonna be moving my items into the first floor into kind of a showroom that will ultimately transition into retail in the downtown space. Um, and then besides that, I do freelance writing and marketing consultancy for local businesses. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> that, um, I, I've always felt that it, it's sad, um, not that it's horrible, but the current state of downtown Freeport, because I feel like downtown Freeport has so much unlocked yeah, potential. Definitely. That if we could get back to it, and it was, it was kind of like being, you know, sort of the age I am. I remember being a kid before everything on the south side of town had gotten built up and downtown was right. the spot. You used to have the plaza downtown and yeah. you know, God, all the stores were down there. It was so cool when you'd hop in the car and head to downtown Freeport. And now it's like, it's unfortunate you drive by because, and that's, as a side note, that's really, really awesome that you're renovating. Yeah. Cause so many of those buildings down there are beautiful. If somebody would put the time and work into them. Exactly. So my, my hat's off to you guys for doing that. That's incredible. So thank you. No, it's been really enjoyable and we feel that same sentiment. I mean, Freeport has so much potential and, you know, we have a lot of potential in all of our districts, but if you start with the hub and build out, there's a lot of, a lot more likelihood for success. And we've got the infrastructure downtown. Like you said, there's so many beautiful buildings. And, you know, even walking through our place, it can be kind of scary to walk through it with, you know, first eyes. But once you get in here, it's, it's just cosmetic. It's mostly just taking out the trash and then working with what you've got. So, um, yeah, we're really excited to be down here. And it's cool since being here to see, like, people that we know, people that we don't know. I was speaking to somebody the other day who said that they, because we have an Instagram, Instagram account um, that we kind of post updates to and they said that they had been following our account and that inspired them to renovate another part of a building in downtown Freeport or you know we were doing our facade this summer and seeing other people start to say oh I might dress up my my the front of my storefront as well too it's just really cool to see you know the domino effect of that and that to see um, you know people really care and invest in the community that we're in. That's really awesome. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes one person to get started. So yeah. that is, that is really cool. I would love it. It'd be so cool if like downtown became the hub, yeah. you know, especially because so many towns in the area, you know, you've been uh, granted, it's a much bigger town, but like um, the whole downtown district in Madison is just a blast. It's just right. a, it's a lot of fun. To, I mean, exactly. main street in Galena is like legendary. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so many right. of those places that, you know, they've been, they're beautiful and they're cleaned up and they've got a whole variety of shopping options and restaurants and yeah, God, if we could get that in downtown Freeport again, Definitely. that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you bring up Galena because I think of Galena a lot when it comes to Freeport. I mean, just a decade ago, or even looking at places like Beloit, um, looking at other places around us where they might have been 10 years, 20 years ago is a similar place that, that Freeport is currently at or has been. I really feel like there's an upswing in Freeport and that we are an artist hub. I mean, the amount of musicians and artists and creative types and entrepreneurs that are in my friend group alone is inspiring. And my, you know, we're, I like to say that we're a, a town built on industry, um, but that emanates creativity. So we are just a lot of doers and, and movers and makers and might as well take advantage of that and use what we have. I mean, I think we have a lot of potential to be similar to a Galena or Madison or Beloit, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think so too. The, yeah, the unfortunate thing, it, it, it kind of seems like the crux that Freeport end ends up stuck in that unfortunately a lot of Midwest towns did that through the 40s and 50s, there was all this, just like you said, industry that was going on that built the town to begin with. And a lot of that industry, you know, unfortunately since then has left. And so it's really going to take a lot of, just like you said, I, I guess, ingenuity and innovativeness and creativeness to yeah. bring those back. And there, we've just like we were talking about Galena, we've seen towns that have been able to do it. So it's definitely not impossible. Yeah. So that is, yeah, like I said, my hat's off to you guys for doing it. That's really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, what are your, having been born and raised here, what would you say your overall view of Freeport as a town is? 
Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because it's definitely changed. I mean, when I left when I was 18 to go to college and move on to down my career path, it was kind of a leave and never come back mentality. Um, and I feel like a lot of people had felt that back then and and even may still feel that way. But um, I always kind of felt drawn back to Freeport, um, even between Madison and between Chicago, between Champaign, um, always found myself kind of staying here for a couple months stints and and finding myself back in like completely wildly into the community and, and, and participating and all that I just think that over the years I've come to really appreciate what Freeport has to offer and I think the biggest thing that anyone can look at Freeport for is you know it's not something that's just going to give you whatever you want without any work it's really what you put into it what you make of this space and I think there's a vibrancy and a magnetism. It's it's wild how all the places I've been and you know people I've met that had no connection to Freeport whatsoever, um, how they connect to this place and how you know random like connecting the dots has brought everyone to this place or they know who we are. Um, and I just really like I said, I think the biggest thing is that there's a lot of you know, individual mindsets, creative people who want to pretty much make what they want out of the world. I mean, that was how I felt being in Chicago, working in more of a corporate structure, just that just wasn't the vibe for me, I guess. Um, and being able to come here, it's an affordable place. You can you can buy property here for much cheaper than you can in any other place, and it's still the same quality. And you can, you know, the life, the expense of living is cheaper and more affordable. You know, we do have good school districts. We have um, services in this town, uh, programs and such. I just. I really love Freeport. It's weird to have been a person who was very against it probably a decade ago. And now it, I'm like Freeport's biggest fan. <laughs> um, I, I really think there's a lot of opportunity here. And like I said, it, it's absolutely what you make of it. And, and I feel like there is going to always be that draw um, to this space. Mm -hmm. I agree 100%. I think um, I was probably more than a few years ahead of you. But it, it was it was the exact same attitude, you know, having been born here and sort of grew up here that you got to a point where when it was time to go and leave the nest, it was adios, goodbye, never looking back. And then, um, yeah, 10 years ago when me and my wife got together and we wanted to find a place to buy a house and begin our family, we this is where we came to. And this is where we've been ever since and where we'll, we'll be, you know, obviously for the long term. Um, kids yeah. go to the school district here, they love it. Um, it's, it's a really great place. And I, just like you were saying, I, I laugh. I have several friends who live in Chicago and you having lived there, you understand this too, that the amount of times that we go back and forth because the, for what it costs to buy this house and the monthly bills that I have for it, yeah. I have friends who live in the Chicago area who have like one or two bedroom apartments who are paying triple what I pay for this house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think there's a real positive draw there. I think it's a, I, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's a wonderful place and gosh, I hope more people come. Um, what do you see like beyond, cause of course right now we're talking about the election that's coming up on February 23rd. Um, do you have a, any notion in your head for where you may want to go after that? Like after township? Yeah. I mean, in terms of our political structure? That's yeah. a good question. Um, I, for now, I'm kind of township. I'm, I'm sticking to it. I could definitely see that evolving, um, especially after being in it and kind of seeing how that works. Um, I know my partner, Zach, has always been somebody who's interested in, you know, perhaps running for city council one day. Um, we like to stay active in our politics and, and at least, at the very least, be um be vocal in our forums uh so i think yeah no big plans ahead but this was just something that seemed like it you know especially with my busy life it seemed like it could fit into that structure really well um and i could be making a difference i could be having an impact in the community so no no big plans to run for mayor yet <laughs> definitely a possibility okay all right the um gosh this it's so wild to think about. I have so many pictures on my phone um, from Freeport this past summer where it, it was kind of like, it was joyous to see. It was also chaotic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the pictures I have on my phone of driving through downtown Freeport and so many of the businesses that were boarded up because of fear of um, what could potentially go south. And I think, I think by and large, it was relatively peaceful. There were, I think, from what I understand, a few minor infractions by people, but by and large, the God, I don't even remember the date, but there was that date that there was the big the big march in downtown. Yeah. It was, was really, really awesome to see. Where, yeah. where did you get to see that? Yeah, yeah. I participated in the in the march on Stevenson that Philanise and Anthony, um, you know, they set that up with a couple other people in town. That was really important. Um, I also participated in the one out um, at the park at the band show, and that one was really powerful too. They had the whole, you know, um, at both of them, either one we knelt or laid down on our on our stomachs for the you know the eight and a half minutes um, that George Floyd was down on the ground. And those were very powerful. And we were also um, here for the first one, which is the reason that, you know, a lot of people were boarding up, which was pretty unfortunate to see, especially, you know, us owning property in downtown, we were not going to board ourselves up. And we actually put out um, a couple of posts on our separate social media saying, you know, whatever happens to our building, to our real estate is, is absolutely absolutely pales in comparison to actual lives lost to police brutality and the actual violence that people in our own community experience from our systems or even just the um, racial profiling people in our community experience and that the, their voices needed to be heard. And so we started out at the very first protest um, I had been working down here and, and knew that it was about, or I, it was kind of just, we got a text maybe at like 5 p.m. saying this is about to happen. And I was leaving work anyway and saw a couple of friends down there, you know, made a quick um, Black Lives Matter sign on an old piece of cardboard mm-hmm. and, and showed up in my car heart overalls all dirty. Um, but, and it was really cool. I mean, it was, the, the first one started out really um, powerful in itself, you know, and it, and it started smaller and we did a little march and, you know, people were able to kind of shout and, and be vocal about the frustrations they feel, which I think is necessary. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, fight fire with fire, but I I tend to not necessarily blame, you know, a community of people who have had violence against them for their entirety of being in this country, for the entirety of living in a, a red line city, you know, um, feeling frustrated and, and maybe airing those frustrations. And so we actually left and then came back when we knew that stuff was starting to get a little rowdy downtown and kind of just posted up, um, not really participating in that, but stayed outside our building, just, you know, like seeing people pass by and such. Um, and it was it was heartbreaking to be a part of that. I remember sitting in the car and crying with my partner, just like not really knowing what to what to do, what to feel. Um, you know, we aren't the ones who are the most affected by this. We are two very privileged white people. So it wasn't up to us um, how things went down. And we did see amidst the chaos, it did not, you know, a few few straight individuals, you know, were angry and participated in in not great acts but at the same time there were all kinds of other people who were there because they were upset and they they felt that they needed their voices to be heard and then it was really disappointing for us to you know how quickly especially being a downtown person and i'm it be, being a little too candid right now but i mean might as well but it was it was disappointing to me to see how quickly our downtown community rallied around um, boarding businesses up, um, making sure the police were getting free lunches after they had been tear gassing and rubber, you know, and 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 pepper spraying our citizens in the streets, um, while there was an absolute lack of rallying around the people who felt this pain, you know, and who were rallying for peaceful protests and the fact that the second protest, the third, the fourth protests were all all sprung up after the chaos of the first one in a response to, um, we don't believe that we should be handling this with in this kind of way. We want to protest this in a peaceful way. The plan is to be peaceful. You know, they all were a response to that first one 
they were a counter response. And so it was unfortunate to have, you know, these inspiring individuals create these events and um, as a way to say, we have the ability to protest this in a better way. We have the ability to have our voices be heard in a different way and for our community's response to be boarding up. Um, to be saying we are afraid of large gatherings of predominantly black people. I feel like that was not the response that we were really um, advocating for. So we left our windows um, onboarded and we have had our Black Lives Matter signs up in the windows since then. They're still in the windows up on the upstairs floors. Um, and it was really powerful to be to participate in those other ones. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going a little long. It was something I just so passionate about I mean it was really interesting you know the other reason why I felt really excited to be at that first one and to be at the other ones is you you know there's all these protests that have been going on for years now um, but they're in major big cities and it was really inspiring to see something like this happening in Freeport in a place where we do still experience this this it's not unheard of to have racism you know be around us and be you know, something that is put on to our other citizens and such um so it was really cool to be a part of that and to see it from all these different sides um and ultimately uh i don't know get those those final ones that i went to they were really really powerful and the speakers they had there the, the messages they had to share um you know they were very emotional and they were very necessary and i'm, I'm i hope that there were some people who you know maybe learn some things from that too mm -hmm. yeah and it was god it was so it, it it infuriated me to no end when when all that was going on and i was driving uh through downtown freeport and they have an armored car parked in front of the courthouse mm -hmm. which to me just drives me insane because first of all i i feel like first of all it's kind of a it's a giant middle finger to a peaceful protest. It's a way of saying like, you're allowed to do this, but if you get out of line, we're going to kick your ass. Yeah. Which I felt like was insanely un uncalled for. And I could go off on a side tangent as to why the city of Freeport has one of those to begin with. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. no, nobody's invading Freeport. Okay. Um, right. That was, and it was such a bizarre time. And obviously from, uh, you know, this I could I could say I'm I'm a big supporter of Black Lives Matter. I had been from the very beginning, but it was such a bizarre summer. I had a and I live over kind of by Reed Park, and I had a Black Lives Matter sign in my front yard and came out one morning to find out that somebody had attempted to set it on fire, oh, which no. which made me laugh because it was a plastic sign and somebody tried to take a lighter to it. I just more laughed at the idiocy. It was probably somebody in the middle of the night ran by and tried to just flick flick flick. Oh, it's not catching and ran away, but. Um, it, it amazes me that something like saying just the phrase black lives matter is controversial like that in and yeah. of itself i still like get floored and like struggled to wrap my brain around that sometimes yeah i mean you're, you're talking about people who are americans people who are citizens of this country people who hereditarily speaking have probably been here longer than most of us mm -hmm. simply trying to say hey could you not kill us yeah and somehow that becomes anti-police and anti right un, you know anti-patriotic and all this other stuff yeah. i i really really struggle to wrap my brain around it it's it's it, and i get that it's a bit of a nuanced issue you know there's a lot of layers to that um yeah. because you know being black lives matter doesn't for a second mean that i'm anti-police anti i'm not at all like yeah. not at all but we also can't sit here and look at the blatant data and evidence that we have in front of us and doesn't say there probably needs to be some serious restructuring, some serious retraining, instead of just flat out saying, well, as long as you're wearing a badge, you're a hero and we're not going to question you. Exactly. You know, that brings me back to, you know, kind of even the township position of acting as a checks and balances system. And that's just for our, our budgetary, for our officials and stuff. But if we could create more checks and balances systems within our everyday systems, within every single one of our systems, then yeah, exactly that we can, you know, if, 
it's that exact idea of, yeah, we're not against police. We don't want to necessarily get rid of all police, defund the police doesn't mean to get rid of every police person and, and, and just blow up the whole system. It means let's demilitarize it. Let's put the money into resources that actually um, you know, help our communities that bring down crime. And I'll even, you know, there's a lot of, I was, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts about, you know, the history of our police systems, the history of our prison industrial complex. There's all, this is, there's books on books and research and sources about that, that talk about what these things have been rooted in and how they were created. And that, you know, we want to be protected as a community, sure, but we shouldn't be just making villains out of out of thin air. And it, uh, you know, I'll bring again a, an experience that we had around that time. We were sitting out on the patio of um, Pub 219 um, that one of those weekends where there was the curfew, um, and it was very interesting to watch military vehicle after military vehicle drive past us and head over that bridge to the east side. You know, it really says a lot about, you know, our systems. Again, these are people who are frustrated with being targeted with, you know, with large police presences in their in their neighborhoods when there doesn't necessarily need to be. And, you know, my first thought was where where are the military vehicles in Cherokee Hills? Where are they on Marvin Lane? You know, where are they in all these places, all these people, you know, there were the rumors, there were a lot of rumors going around about all the people who were supposedly going to go to the, the rich rich white neighborhoods and do stuff. And I mean, those were all baseless, of course, too, and, and pretty racist and, and, and not, not, you know, founded, I guess. Um, but it was interesting to see the response to people being upset at being targeted, the targets of, of police brutality being then targeted by police brutality in that sense, being set in this kind of, you know, uh, what was the word that I'm looking for? The the kind of militarized state um, of lockdown in that sense. Yeah. Why was one half of our community in a deep lockdown? While you know, and I I love Mortz and and um, it's not a dig at Mortz, but you know they had and they actually had Philanese, you know that night that they were putting music on and they had Philanese come and talk about the protests the following day and such and that was really powerful and awesome, but. Though there were 20 people, 20 white people sitting outside of Moritz at the strike of 8 p.m. when the curfew happened, and not one person, you know, there wasn't a, a policeman around to to rally them up and say get home because there's a curfew. But there were military vehicles in on um, the east side to make sure that people were staying in check. And I think it was a perfect example of the thing that you know a lot of um, these communities are fighting against. And I, I want to clarify to people who um, aren't from Freeport, don't live here in Freeport, the distance from downtown to what we in Freeport call the east side is a very short distance. Yeah. You know, the, we're not dealing with a city that's New York City and be like, well, they were leaving them alone in one bureau, but cracking down another. It, it, I mean, it was within shouting distance yeah. you could hear. And yet yeah, that was, and I felt you know, and you saw this a lot nationally with a lot of the Black Lives Matter protest that was going on where there's a protest to try and fight against police brutality. And the response is to show up in riot gear with tear gas and beat the crap out of people in the street. Yeah. I don't know if that, I mean, were you trying to be a stereotype? Were you trying to prove the yeah. protesters right? I mean, yeah. your response to police brutality protests as police brutality that didn't make any like it, it yeah I could go on yeah. for days about that but. <laughs> I know, it's, it's, yeah ironic isn't it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. and I think um and, and I'm sure you'll have thoughts on this because the thing that I'm finding the most frustrating that's happening right now is this sort of need by people to compare what happened at the Capitol to the Black Lives Matter protests, which you bring that up. <laughs> aggravates me beyond no end. Like it, yeah. to me, it seems so intellectually dishonest. Yeah. Like you're clearly not taking time to understand, first of all, the purpose behind the two different things, the ramifications behind the two different things. I'll yeah. let you go. 
I want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat that you are. That has been, you know, I'm, I, like I said, I'm pretty vocal on my social media, not so much Facebook. I kind of stay away from Facebook most of the time, um, but on my Instagram and such and my Twitter, um, I tend to to be a little more vocal about my my feelings on these things. But it, it, it has been hard, you know, and, and to speak to, you know, friends and family members who who say that exact sentiment they say well it's, it's just the same as what was happening in the summer with black lives matter and it's infuriating and sometimes i just don't even have the words i i don't always sometimes i feel like there's no discussion to even be had some many people just have their minds made up um unfortunately but it's it's a stark difference between peacefully protesting um, you know, or being a part of a, the biggest, the largest civil rights movement since the 60s to discuss, to bring up like things that we know exist. Um, there, like I said, there's books on this, there's information, there is hundreds of years of, of evidence of this kind of stuff happening and it, it never subsiding, it never changing. In fact, it just being, um, you know, made even more easier um and to have people rightfully be upset and a few a few like i said straight individuals you know or upset individuals rightfully so i mean i i like i said i won't i i don't condone violence but i don't um i'm not surprised you know after years of having violence against you what do you expect um so like i said that it's to see that to see um, a structured movement happening with a few unfortunate circumstances compared to a blatant conspiracy from our president, from our former president, you know, just because, you know, and this is a former president um, who personally, and like I said, I might be being pretty candid right now, who had investigations into his fraudulent election in 2016 i wouldn't say even fraudulent you know um not, yeah i don't, I don't know just a, an election that not a lot that had investigations around it to say things were not done correctly things we've learned new things about how our systems can be impacted from outside forces how they can be impacted by um you know our social media and and things like that so then to see this conspiracy just being brought up to people who um, just blindly follow to, like I said, a few individuals had created negative experiences around the Black Lives Matter protests, but what happened at the Capitol was entire groups of people doing that exact same thing and, and much worse, nobody, Nobody was, you know, breaking into the Capitol during the Black Lives Matter. In fact, there were so many, so much riot gear, so many police lines at, at those kinds of places that would have never been possible. It was infuriating to watch in the, an entire summer of people being tear gassed and rubber bulleted and and hurt and beat up and and killed, you know, injured for the rest of their lives um in the streets for peaceful protests i you know i think back to the violin protest in colorado um and i i cannot remember uh his name right now um for that one guy who who died from that a peaceful violin protest in a park was met with riot gear and tear gas to a bunch of families sitting in a park listening to music to mourn the death of an innocent life um whereas People, you know, we saw video of certain police officers letting people into the Capitol, um, you know, police officers off duty participating in this kind of thing. Um, people being uh, being held by the hand to walk down the steps of the Capitol, just a very stark difference in treatment of, it just really showed a lot of white privilege to me. Um, and, you know, it, one was an insurrection and one was a civil rights movement. Right. Who I don't really know how to help anybody, you know, understand those differences if they can't get it already. I, I don't really have the answers for that all at this point, I guess. 
Um, I think it just takes, you know, continuing to be vocal, continuing to be transparent, um, and continuing to hold people accountable and to hold these experiences accountable too, that these are very different things. And um, one was one was not right. <laughs> well, and I think it's important, um, and I will say this every day to anybody who needs to hear it, there was no fraud in the 2020 election. Just stop it. Just stop. What you had was a man who lost an election, who hates losing more than anything. And in his entire life, whenever he's run afoul, he's always had excuses that have ranged into outrageous territories to why he lost, because it's impossible that something like this would happen to the great and wonderful Donald Trump. So if he lost an election, it had to be stolen. It had to be rigged. That's the only possible way he could lose an election. Never mind the fact he's a piece of shit and we just don't like him. Like that's entirely possible too. That's right. aside. But what you had, just like you were saying, and I love the way you put this, is one was an attempt to overthrow a fair and open election in the United States by storming the United States Capitol building. And one was anger over their treatment by the power structure that exists. They are two vastly different things. Was there destruction of property in both? Yes. Am I okay with either one of them? No, I'm not. Uh, but they both happen for very, very, very different reasons. And I think that one of the unfortunate things that we've come to as people is that it's far too easy to just react to what you see directly in front of you rather than giving something context, especially if it's something you disagree with. That's really, yeah. for some reason, that's really hard for people to do. Yeah, no, I agree. And I and, mean, you know, I'll say one other thing. People were not showing up to the Black Lives Matter protests with with um, zip ties and with um, lists of, of people to assassinate. Um, there's a difference, you know, if I, I, I think we're very lucky that what happened at the Capitol is all that happened at the Capitol. I think there were other intentions. And like I said, that was, you know, a couple broken windows from a civil rights movement compared to actively trying to murder people, officials who are, who think differently than you is, is, is very different. <laughs> well, and it was the the contrast of six months ago having people angrily waving black the blue flags and signs to actively knocking over police over officers over with those flags yeah. to get yeah, into the Capitol building yeah. lends me to believe that for you it was never about back the blue to begin with anyway. It yeah. was about something much deeper that you're not being honest about. So yeah. No, you're absolutely right. They murdered a police officer. Um, I don't think that's very back the blue. I don't think, you know, everybody has their 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 special taglines that they say and the things, their rebuttals to arguments, but I think actions speak louder than words. And, you know, like you said, it doesn't feel like it was necessarily about making sure that our, our police are protected or that they are, you know, treated well or that there are systems to make sure that our like I said, our systems are checks and balances. Um, it did feel like privilege and an I didn't get my way attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you were going to make a movie about what happened and not title it white privilege, I don't know what else you would call it. Because that's like, if it was if it was on full display, it was so blatantly obvious that, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've said before, I think you're just being intellectually dishonest if you're not about calling a spade a spade and what actually what was, was going on there. Thankfully, we're in a position where hopefully some cooler heads are prevailing. But this whole QAnon thing is just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, I completely, I don't even know where to begin on that. I, <laughs> right. I try to stay informed so that, you know, obviously, but most of the time, whenever something about QAnon comes across my, my newsfeed, I'm just like, swipe. I, I can't handle this right now. I've got a lot of stimulus going on already. <laughs> but yeah, it is, I don't know, it's. And the fact that, you know, there were a lot of calls, you know, January 20th, Donald Trump's going to be president and all these things. And pretty much on that day, the main guy came out and was like, yeah, I'm just, this isn't real anyway. And it's like, and the likelihood of a new person stepping up and saying, you know, I am the new, the new leader of, of this, I don't want, I'll say movement, not the word that I feel like saying, um, but just, again, a lot of conspiracies in contrast to a lot of people with information um, and, and facts. So 
it is frightening to me. I think, you know, I just, the internet is a valuable resource, but it is also a very scary place um, in this day and age. And like I said, without checks and balances, I feel like for the last four years, Tom from, not Tom, Jack from Twitter, Mark from Facebook, all these people just kept letting stuff happen. And then within the last couple of weeks of Donald Trump's presidency, suddenly they're starting to crack down on him. And it's like, you wish you were here a couple of years ago, you know, yeah. this, it's hard to go back. I mean, I, I come from a background, um, you know, where I have, you know, been indoctrinated a lot of ways um, and I will leave it at just that for now um, but having been a person to come out of that and to see these tactics and strategies of of the brainwashed um, to be candid again um, it's easy to spot and I think that's why I am so vocal and so adamant about spotting that and, and acknowledging it and, and bringing that to light because I have been on the inside of those those things before and to know you know I just I, I think there's it's a formula and it's a really unfortunate one to to go down that rabbit hole and and you know like the amount of info like fake and not fake but like yeah absolutely fake but I want to say a better word like incorrect information out there when there's a wealth of other information that could be used, it's, I don't really know, I don't know the answer. I, I'm really curious what's gonna be happening, you know, when I don't, you know, Donald Trump has been compared to Hitler and Mussolini and things and, and his followers will always fight you on that. But, um, you know, there was a difference when, when Nazi Germany was no longer Nazi Germany, there was accountability to be had, there was, um, people were not gonna be behaving that way anymore. And it's hard to be where we are now and hopefully moving forward in a different way, but being afraid of these depths of the internet just kind of getting deeper and deeper. I mean, with things like Parler, just a lot of, a lot of places for these kinds of ideas to manifest that have, again, no checks and balances, no, no sources. And I, I, that kind of frightens me. Well, and I think you're absolutely right. And we're ended up in this weird, like bizarro world where um, it's one thing for a politician to give a speech or to say something and maybe slightly bend the truth a little bit to put themselves in a good light versus somebody who is the president of the United States, the supposed leader of the free world, saying outright blatant lies. Mm -hmm. I mean, just completely 100% false and every notion of the word yeah. and having millions of supporters eat it up like it's Bible gospel. How do yeah. you even begin to find a middle ground with that? How do you even begin? I mean, when it was like right off the bat, when his presidency started and his press secretary used the term alternate facts, what are you talking about? Like it's either the facts or it's not. If you're just yeah. going to flat out make up whatever it is you want, then as a democracy, we're kind of screwed because it's kind of hard for us to then say, okay, you think this, you think this, where can we meet in the middle? When yeah. one is true and one is 100% false, but that side believes it's 100% true. Yeah. I, I don't even know how you even begin to have those conversations that don't end in unfriending and blocking and, right. <laughs> and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I do find it hard. I feel like in the beginning of a lot of these things, I was, you know, and I, like I said, I'm pretty vocal, but I, you know, tended to be like, let's talk about it. Let's, let's discuss, let's debate. And now I'm just like, I'm not going to, I, I pretty much just say I don't I don't discuss ideas with fascists. I don't if if what you're saying is in line with fascism, then it's not going to be something that I'm I'm going to participate in because it just needs to be shut down. And I think you know, like I said, I don't really have a lot of the answers for where do we go from here. But one feeling that I have is um, you know with our new presidency, uh, I think you know just because a Democrat is in the office. Um, and, you know, I have my own opinions about, about that as well um, and how that election process went in the primaries. Um, but I do think that if we, that there's a difference between, hopefully, I'm hoping, I mean, we're still pretty early, but I do think the people, you know, who are my age and within my, my feelings and beliefs might feel the same way is I think that there's, 
it's, isn't it a time to just blindly follow a Democrat, like, you know, the same way that Trump's followers followed him and just went for everything he said and just ate it all up and took it at what he said and whatnot. But um, to hold our representatives accountable, even if they're on the right side as us or on the same side as us, um, I think Joe Biden has a lot to prove and a lot to do, and he might not Oh, he not, might not be perfect and he might not get everything done. And, you know, it's a lot easier to break things than to fix them. So it's a long uphill battle. But I think what we can do on our side is is hold our officials accountable, like hold, you know, our president um, and our senators and our Congress members, even if they are on the same ballot as us, completely accountable for their actions. And 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 like I said, not just this is the president and I'm, I'm happy with it. And now I'm going to not be a part of active in politics anymore. Um, but to keep consistent with that mentality of, of what do we need to do? And now that we have somebody who might actually listen to us when we protest Black Lives Matter and the need to fix our systems, scream louder, you know, to say, you know, we're not shouting into a black void. Now we are talking to somebody who might actually hear what we're saying and and take it, you know, for for bits and pieces of what it is. But I think the biggest thing that we can do is is not be like um, the opposite and to hold our people accountable without just letting them ride it out. <laughs> and that's where we were. <laughs> yeah, I, I I could not agree more. Um, I was having a I remember a couple months ago I was having a conversation with a friend of mine um, who voted for Trump, and yeah, I. You, it, you know, it was kind of interesting because I kind of got the feeling like he was beginning to soften on the whole liking Trump thing, but wasn't quite ready to fully admit I might have screwed up. Yeah, um, and I told him, I said, the biggest thing to keep in mind is like my whole mentality behind the whole thing is that I am not beholden to a party. I am not beholden to a person. I'm beholden to a set of ideals. And if somebody comes along and I think they are, you know, a great presidential candidate and they check mark all the boxes for me, I'm going to think they're great. I'm going to campaign for them. I'm going to put a sign in their front yard. I'm going to vote for them. Once that person's in office, that doesn't mean that they get a free pass to do whatever they want from me Absolutely. at all. Like yeah. if day one, he betrays two of those check mark boxes, I'm going to be angry about it. I'm not going to try and I'm defend it. I'm already angry. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's already. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's with like it'll be it's going to be interesting I, to see what happens over the next decade or so because there's yeah. this growing schism within the Democratic Party of sort of like the the older I guess um, I've heard people use the term corporate Democrats and sort of like the progressive wing of like the AOCs and and mm -hmm. Bernie. It sounds weird that I didn't put Bernie into the old group just considering his age, but but he's amazing he's and I it, and I wish him well. Yeah. Um, well, all right. Well, we're getting close to wrap this thing up. I, I do want to say that you definitely got my vote and I'm, I'm going to have to, but do you still got yard signs you're handing out? I do. Yeah. I have a couple uh, still left over, so I can drop one off to you or if anyone else who listens to this podcast um, wants, they can feel free to message me on my Facebook and I will, I will drop it off myself. All right. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, I want to, I want to thank you so much um, for taking the time to come on. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm really hoping in the future, uh, you know, look out for it. I'll, I'll reach out to you and say, hey, we got to do this thing again. So definitely. So, okay. Cool. Yeah, well, no, thank you again for having me on here. I really appreciate you reaching out and, and considering my platform. I mean, that's, that's just a really cool opportunity to get that spotlight. So I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Well, thank you so much, Chloe. Um, we will say goodbye to all the listeners out there and <laughs> we'll see you again next time. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, so that was the episode with Chloe. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun making her. She was a lot of fun talking to, and I've definitely got her down to somebody I want to have on the podcast in the future. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast, for supporting this podcast. If you could do me a favor, tell a friend, tell them to tell a friend, and then tell another friend, and then share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. If you happen to be listening to this on Apple device, there is a spot up there in the corner to leave a review. If you could please do that as well, every little bit of it helps. I want to thank you so much. I want to say I love you all and hope you take care of each other. Bye-bye.